So the story goes in 1519 that an explorer by the name of Cortez set out from what we know as modern-day Cuba, sailed west to Mexico on the, the, the Gulf there to conquer the Aztec Empire, which had not been done in over 600 years. And when they landed, Cortez had 11 ships, 500 uh, soldiers, and 100 sailors. And when they saw the empire, when they saw the massive might that no one was able to defeat in over 600 years, they said, we would rather go back home. This is too hard. We miss the comforts of home. And Cortez now famously said, if we're going home, we're going home in their ships. And then legend has it that he burned the ships. Some say he sunk them. Doesn't really matter. So don't email me and be like, hey, he sunk them. He didn't burn them. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> burn the ship sounds better than sink the ships anyway, right? But the concept was this. The concept was we're not going back. We're going forward. And if we're going to go home, it's going to be because we beat them and we're riding home in their ships. And famously, they won. They conquered the Aztec Empire. It hadn't been done in over 600 years. And the principle is simply this. As we look into a new year, as we face a new calendar, as we get into writing a new date, it's not a new year that's going to finally make us different. It's not a calendar in fact, so often we judge things by dates. We judge maturity by age. But how many of you know your age has nothing to do with your maturity? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Somebody had a 2018. So as we face a new year, it is a great time because it is a new year. But, but here's what I want you to understand. It's not because it's a new year that you're going to see the things that you finally want to see. It will only be a new year if it becomes a new season for you. It would only be a new year if in our minds, we finally make the decision, we are going to burn the boats. We're going to burn the ships of what got us here. And we're no longer going to make any way back home. We're no longer going to make any way back because let's be honest, the past wasn't that great anyway. We're not going to romanticize the past. We're not going to keep those secret sins available. We're not going to keep that relationship on the side. We're not going to go back. We are only going to go forward. And so as we started a new year, I thought, what a, an amazing way to have a conversation in our lives about some things we need to burn. So no, this is not a series on arson per se, but it is a series about growing up. And that's what we're going to see. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to hang out there for a while. I have another set of scriptures in Philippians chapter three. We may not get to it. I didn't in the last service. If we don't, we'll just move it to next week. All right. But here's what we all need to see. All of us have areas in our lives that we need to leave behind, we need to burn, and make a decision, we're going to move forward. 
And by God's grace, I'm hoping today that through the power of his spirit and the preaching of his word, he will show that to you. Let's pray and ask him to do that and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your graciousness to us. Thank you for getting us through another year. And as we approach this year, God, we want to approach it humbly with the recognition that we are saying there's some things we don't need to bring with us. There's some habits, there's some ideas, there's some thoughts, there's some beliefs we need to leave in the past. And I pray now, God, as we open your word through the power of your spirit, that you would show us that. You would open our eyes to see the truth about who you are and what you're doing in us and give me the power to preach it in Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 13, if you've ever been to a wedding, you have probably heard some verses out of First Corinthians 13. It is what's called the love chapter. I don't know if Barry White ever wrote a song on it, but it would be a great one, right? But here's what's interesting. The chapter on the surface has nothing to do with marriage. Contextually, he's not talking about marriage. He's not. Paul, who wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, wrote this because the Corinthian church was arguably the most corrupt church that Paul started. Because Corinth was like modern day Vegas. What happens in Corinth stayed in Corinth. But don't you know that ain't true? What happens in Vegas comes home with you. So Corinth was that kind of place. Corinth was, I mean, you just go read it in chapter seven. He said, literally, he says, hey, don't sleep with your father's wife. Like that's in the Bible? Yeah, which means they were doing that. It was a jacked up church. And so Paul's writing letters back to them. And we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians because that's the real spiritual way of saying this was the first letter and this was the second letter. But most scholars believe there was actually another letter that was lost. And so the point is not which letter is it. The point is he was writing letters back to help them understand things. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter three, I wish I could speak to you as spiritual people, but I can't because you're of the flesh. You're still like infants, like children. And then he proceeds to discuss several things with them. And in chapter 12, he starts having a conversation with them about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 opens up saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 13 and in chapter 14, he talks contextually about that subject. And right in the middle, in chapter 13, is this whole chapter on love. But the context is in the context of how spiritual gifts are exercised in the church. Because here's what was happening. In Corinth, they're like, oh, I've got this gift. Oh, I've got this gift. If you were more spiritual, you'd be like me and you would have this gift. They were using their gifts in a way not to glorify the Father, but to glorify themselves and not to build up others but to build up themselves. So at the end of chapter 12, Paul says this, I will show you a more excellent way. Verse 13 starts with love. Now we don't have time to get into the whole chapter, so we're gonna kind of come in mid, midway through and look at verse eight. He says, love never ends. Love never what? Ends, it never ends. It never ends, it goes on and on and on. 
And then he contrasts that and he says, as for prophecies, they will pass away, i.e. they will end. As for tongues, they will cease, they will end. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love never ends, but these gifts will end. So the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, all of those have an expiration date. Love doesn't. He says this, verse nine, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We know in part, we prophesy in part. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. How many of you know right now we're in the time of the partial? We're in the season of the partial. Scholars call this the already not yet tension. What that means is the kingdom of God has already broken in. Light has already broken in and is dispelling darkness, but there's still darkness. The kingdom of God is here spiritually, but it is not here fully physically. So we're in the season of partialness, which means things are in process. The perfect is not here. Now, Paul is using that as a way to describe them and saying, you're in the season of partialness too. You're not perfect. You're partial. Part. And then he uses this amazing picture. Look at verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Let me ask a question. How do you know when a boy becomes a man? You don't have to answer that. Ladies, please don't. All right. How do you know when a boy becomes a man? We don't know anymore. What typically we do is we put a date on it, right? Jewish culture put the date of 12. You became a man at the age of 12. You were an adult at the age of 12. Now, fathom that for a little bit. 12. So in the 20th century, we started realizing, hey, maybe 12-year-olds aren't quite adults yet. So we invented, and you can go back and research this. I am not making it up. We invented the term teenager. From 13 to 19, we called them teen-agers. They're in the teens, which means they're not fully adults yet. They're not adults. They're not kids, but they're not adults. They are teens. So we moved the goalpost from 12 to 18. 19, if you're still going with the teen idea. So then it was like, all right, you can vote at age 18. You can drink at age 18. You can own a gun at age 18. You are an adult. I voted, my wife and I were just having this conversation yesterday. I voted for the first time in a presidential election when I was a senior in high school. It was the same year. 
a senior in high school. You think I understood how to vote? But by golly, I wanted to because I'm an adult. Now what we've done is we've moved the age. There's a new term. You can go Google it. The new idea is called delayed adolescence. (laughs) I kid you not. It's delayed. It's no longer 18. It's somewhere in the 20s. We call them Twixters. When does a boy become a man? Biblically speaking, you want to know when a boy becomes a man? When he gives up childish ways. It's not about an age. It's about a stage. It's not about an age. It's about a stage. You know when a boy becomes a man when he enters a new stage. When he moves out of this stage and moves into this stage, which means you can have 40-year-olds still stuck in the wrong stage, even though their age says they should be adults. We made another new term, a verb, and it increased 700% last year in 2018. We call it adulting. I don't want to adult today, adulting. And the idea is in adulting, I do the things that adults do. Well, guess what? I don't want to do what adults do. So is a 20 year old an adult? Have they given up childish ways? See, a 12 year old can be an adult if they've given up childish ways. Here's the argument Paul is making. The argument Paul is making in the context of spiritual gifts is the way that you know that somebody has moved into another stage is how they see love. How they see love. Not how they see gifts. Not how they see prophecy, how they see knowledge, how they see understanding, how they see tongues. It's how they see love. Here's what he's saying. In the stage of spiritual growth, in the stage of spiritual growth, the way that you know someone has moved from a childish stage into an adultish stage is now they see the gifts as a mean to love others. They are no longer self-centered. They're no longer self-centered. He says, I gave up childish ways. Now let's have a conversation here because when I first read this, I was like, hold up. I thought Jesus told us to be like a child, right? I mean, didn't Jesus say that? He said that in the gospels, Matthew 7, I believe it is. Let the children come to me. Unless you're like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now here Paul is saying, but I gave up childish ways. Oh, but there's a difference, friends. Here's my point of the whole message. You might want to write it down. We are called to remain childlike, but not to remain childish. 
I got a few amens there. Come on, Jasper, I need you. Let's try that again. We are called to remain childlike, not childish. Amen. Come on, somebody. There you go. You're talking to me now. There's a difference between childlike and childish. One is good. The other is not. Childlike faith versus childish faith is very simply this. It is father-centered. Childlike faith is father-centered. When Jesus talked about childlike faith, he said, come to me like a child. What he meant by that is this. When a child comes to his or her father, they understand that the father is the one who has all the power, who has all the authority or should. The father is the one that is there to provide for them. And an appropriate relationship with God is to have a father-centered relationship, a father-centered relationship. So childlike faith focuses on the father. Childish faith is self-centered. It's not father-centered, it's self-centered. The father is not the epicenter of the universe. You know, we had arguments about this and we killed the church, killed the dude who said that the earth is not the center of the universe. You know that, right? Because we couldn't stand the fact that the earth is not the center. No, the sun is the center. We all revolve around it. Listen, you ain't got to like it. It's just true. And childness or childishness is trying to put yourself at the center and make everything else revolve around you. So you never leave childlike faith, but you should always leave childish faith. And how do we do that? Three things that Paul says there. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. Let's break those three down. Different words, all connected. The first one is he says, I spoke like a child. I spoke. How do children speak? Children speak in ways that can be childish. They speak about childish things. How many of you know children can be some of the most cruel people on the planet? They say the darndest things, yeah, and those darndest things half the time aren't good because they're speaking in ways that are typically self-centered. I did not have to teach any of my kids, neither did you, how to say the word mine. Anybody teach your kids that word? Was it one of the first words they said? Dada or mama or goo goo or gaga might have been first, but mine came quickly. It's built into them. Mine. Why do they say that? Because of how they think. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I want to know what you're thinking, all I need to do is listen to how you're speaking. So thoughts inform speech. And this word here, thoughts, mean to form an opinion. To form an opinion. 
When you're forming opinions about other people, your outside world shapes that. Your outside world shapes that in your childhood. Chip Judd, who came and did our marriage conference last year, said this. It was so great. In childhood, your outside world shapes your inside world. In adulthood, your inside world shapes your outside world. So you start to form opinions as a child that you hold on to that may or may not be true. And then you speak out of those. And those opinions are based in reason. There are reasons for that. Which this is the third thing. He says, I spoke, I thought, I reasoned. Do you know what that means? It literally means to have value. We might say the word belief. So let me show you this. Belief is the rock or the foundation Thoughts are the structure. Words are the wrapping. So you talk the way you think, which is informed by how you believe. And Paul says there are ways to do those three things that are childish. Values. Let me ask you a question. What do you value? You want to know what the word value is about? Value informs your decisions. You decide things on your values. Now, you need to understand something about the word decide. It has the root word side. That same word is what we use to talk about homicide. The word means to kill. Homa means human. So homicide is to kill a human. Decide is to kill decisions. Your decisions are based upon your values. So you decide which things to kill off based upon what you value internally. So let's think about this. Are there some decisions you made in 2018 that were childish? Yes or no? That should be a yes from everybody unless you're Jesus incarnate. Yes. How many of you know you had some value propositions in 2018 that were childish? How many of you formed some opinions in 2018 that were childish? Go ahead and raise your hand. Come on. Let's be emotionally healthy. Thank you. Yes. Now, this one is like a double hand, double fisted. You might want to stand. How many of you said some childish things in 2018? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Now, this is not a sermon on cussing. Sometimes people are like, Pastor, that was a good sermon, and they tell me what, it, what they thought it was. I'm like, that wasn't it at all. <laughs> were you listening, or were you like halfway into sports score? I'm like, oh, I heard that one. Don't cuss. This is not a sermon on cussing. However, out of the overflow of your what? The mouth What? So if you're saying words, it's because you believe them. So all I'm saying is this. Look at your words. Look at the opinions you formed. And look at the values you have. And ask yourself this question. What in there is childish that I need to give up and burn the ship before I get into 2019. 
what about my life do I need to give up in order to go up? Or let me say it like this, in order to grow up. What do I need to give up in order to grow up? See, the problem with New Year resolutions is we talk about all the things we're going to start doing, and we don't discuss any of the things we're going to stop doing. But in order for there to be a beginning, there has to be an ending. In order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And you want to know why our flesh hasn't died? This is what Paul's talking about, flesh. It's what he said in chapter three. I wish I could talk to you as spiritual people, but I can't because you're still living in the flesh. You want to know why my flesh has, let me just talk about me. You want to know why my flesh hasn't died? Because I haven't wanted it to. It's that simple. I haven't wanted it to. There are certain habits, thoughts, behaviors, beliefs that I still wrestle with because I don't want them to leave me. It's because that's how I survived in 2018. It's like a kid with their blankie. You learned how to self-soothe with it, which is fine when you're four. But if you're 14 or 24, what we do is we just trade the blanket in for a bucket of Rocky Road. Right? I'm speaking to myself. I literally just finished the last pint of Rocky Road yesterday in my house. That's a Freudian slip right there. See, there are selfish ways or childish ways to think. Let's talk about desires for a second. I made a list of a few things that are childish ways. Desires. The childish way of thinking is God will give me what I want. That's the childish way of thinking. But the mature way of thinking is, is that God will give me new wants. See, Psalm 37, four says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you, anybody know the next phrase there? The desires of your heart. So you know what we do? We read that verse and we see a means to an end. The means to what I really want is God. God, I want a healthy life. God, I want to retire young. God, I want this, whatever it is. And listen, most of those things aren't even bad. But we see God as the divine postal worker who is there to bring us what we want. He's a means to an end. And so we're like, all right. So to get what I want, all I have to do is delight myself in the Lord. All right, God, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. Hold up, God, you didn't give me what I wanted. It's because that's childish. A mature way of thinking is, I'm so delighted in him, he gives me new desires. Another one, gifts, spiritual gifts. That's what they were talking about. The Corinthians were eager for the gifts. Chapter 14, he says, remain eager for the gifts especially that you would prophesy. But here's what they misunderstood. They thought the gifts were for building themselves up, but the gifts were for building up of others. 
This is why Paul says, when it came to speaking in tongues, he said, listen, I would rather say five words with my mind than 10 words, 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody understood. Why? Because the point is not, I've got the gift of tongues. The point is to build you up. You want to know why most of our resolutions fail? Because they're self-focused. You want them to succeed this year? Make them others-focused. So the Corinthians saw spiritual gifts as a way to build themselves up. That's childish. Instead of understanding that the only reason why the Holy Spirit gave a gift is because to build up the church, which means if you're exercising them outside of the context of the church, you're using them in a manner that was never meant to be used. They're always for the church. Let's just talk about that. Serving. People like, I come to church to get my needs met. And so in today's world, we have a buffet line of churches. And listen, I thank God for the other churches. I thank God for technology and all these other things. But if we're not careful, we're like, I go to this church for the preaching. I go to this church for the music. I go to this church for the classes. I go to this church for whatever. Yeah, but which one of those churches do you go to to build it up? See the difference? One is childish. Getting quiet. Knowledge. Knowledge, he says, knowledge. First Corinthians eight, this is what he said. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Let's take this word knowledge here in the context of our mission, grow people. Gospel, relationships, obedience, works. As a pastor, unfortunately, I have seen this process play out a thousand times. It's like Satan has the same button on replay. A lot of times what happens in the church People come to Jesus, they trust Christ's gospel, they believe the gospel, they trust Jesus, they get baptized. We even use this language like they're on fire, don't even know what that means. But it just means that they're excited, right? So they trust Jesus, get baptized, living on mission. Second step are they get plugged into relationships, they join a team, they join a group, they join the church, they're getting to know people. The third step, oh, obedience, they're starting to grow up. They're starting to take seriously the commands of Jesus, but then when they start seeing growth in their life, they start to think it's because of their obedience they saw the growth. And what happens is it's in that step that people get knowledge and they become Pharisees who start judging others based upon their lack of knowledge. And they never move on to the W which is works. And what is the good work that God has called us to? To multiply that same mission of growth in somebody else. And this is where church people get so caught up in getting more knowledge. I need to know more. Why? Because knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Most of us, most of us, our knowledge outpaces our level of obedience anyway. It's not that you need to know more. You just need to do what he said. But hear me. This is where people start talking about deep. You want to know the deepest thing Jesus said? Now listen, I'm a pastor. I love seeing mysteries and things that, you know, in the Old Testament were uncovered that were, that were covered in the New Testament are uncovered. I love that. I geek out on it. But there's a way 
to get knowledge that just makes me look smarter versus a way of getting knowledge to help somebody else with it. You wanna know the deepest thing Jesus said? Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he said this phrase, all the prophets, all the law hangs on these two. Flip it is built on these two. So the deeper you go, the more loving you should become. You with me when I say that? But there's a childish way in thinking about knowledge. And the childish way of thinking about knowledge is I've outgrown that church. I know more. And now I go on Facebook and post passive aggressive statements. Not... I go sign up to join a nursery room and change a baby's diaper. See the difference? All right, move on. Forgiving. Oh, this is a big one. The childish way of thinking about forgiving is you don't know how they hurt me. I can't forgive them for that. Now that is true. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know how you hurt him. You were a sinner. And you disregarded a holy God. And he forgave you. Ephesians 4, last verse of that chapter. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. If we can't forgive, we are self-centered and think that we're more important than God. But a childlike faith says, Father, I put vengeance in your hands. I forgive them. Let's go forward. Finances. The childish way says, I want it, I get it. I want it, I get it. The wise way says, do I really need it? Here's what we do financially. We say, can I afford it? I got $400 left over. Woohoo! I got $400 for a car payment. Is that wise? Or is that childish? See, a child thinks that the father should give them anything they ask for. The problem with us is our desires. And so find it. Listen, Finances are neutral. They are a tool. And they're just going to make you more of what you already are. So if you're a tool, they're going to make you a tool. More of one. Money's a magnifier. That's all it is. But you can handle it in a childish way or you can handle it in a wise way. And the wise way is, is this wise? Do I, what about delayed gratification? What about saving? What about investing? Right? Two more quickly, or three more. Parenting and marriage. Let's just put these two together because I don't have much time. Parenting and marriage. We'll do a series on all these, by the way. That's the theme for 2019. What are childish ways in your finances you need to grow up? What are childish ways in your marriage you need to grow up? What are childish ways in your parenting you need to grow up? Parenting and marriage, so intimately connected. Very simply, do you have a married-centered home or do you have a child-centered home? 
The best thing you can do for your children is not put them at the center of it. Have you gone out on a date recently without your kids? That is so emotionally healthy for them, you don't even know. When Jackson was two weeks old, I told Lindsay, somebody's coming to pick him up. What? Yep. You sit right there. He'll be fine. They came to our door, rang the doorbell. Here's my kid. She said, what are we doing? I said, we're going to sleep. We woke up the next morning. She was like, I love you. <laughs> my home is not child-centered. And my marriage is not self-centered. My marriage is other-centered. Why do you think God chose that as the primary metaphor? My marriage is other-centered. A childish way of marriage is I will love and serve them when they love and serve me. What are you, Seven? Oh, you're 37, just acting like seven. <laughs> Ooh, I got to move. Pain. Let's do it with the pain. A childish way sees pain as something to avoid. A mature way sees pain as something to embrace. Because a man knows, a woman knows, an adult knows that unfortunately, without pain, we don't change. Without pain, we don't change. Pain is one of God's greatest gifts. It lets you know what not to touch again. The problem is we just had to learn, we keep acting childish. Shh, hot, that's hot, Shh, that's hot. For real? How, how many times are you gonna date the same dude? How, how many times are you going to go back? Oh, he said he changed. He go to church now. Did he go to church before you were there? Or did he show up because he knew he would see you there? Man, I'm meddling. Pain. The childish way of thinking is I don't want any pain in my life, but the mature way of thinking is I want to change and I am willing to allow pain to change me. Next two verses. I, had a, I didn't get to the whole next set of scriptures. We'll get into that next week, but look at verse 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 and 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. That word there, dear, dimly, we see in a mirror dimly, is literally the Greek word enigma. It's where we get our English word enigma. Right now, I see a mystery. But you wanna know the greatest mystery is not women. The greatest mystery is what Paul said in Romans 7, why I don't do the things I want to do and why I do the things I don't want to do. Why? You want to know why? Because I'm not abiding in the fact that I'm fully known. You want to know why you obsess over your likes in a social media world? Because you don't abide in the fact that you're fully known. 
not tomorrow, but the next Monday, January 14th, we're starting this series, or not series, but season, called Abide. Well, we're going to pray and fast for 21 days. We're going to worship. We've got the last three nights set aside. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. It'll culminate Sunday morning, bringing in guest speakers. Those last three nights, we're going to worship after we've prayed and fasted for 21 days. And here's what we're going to ask God. God, what childish ways do I need to give up? But you won't give them up. You won't burn those ships unless you're confident that God is with you. Unless you abide in him, remain in him, are secure in the fact that you're fully known and fully loved. That's why I love how he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. What's interesting to me, the Greek sentence structure there is different than English. In the Greek sentence structure, faith, hope, and love aren't first. In the Greek, it reads like this, so now abide, faith, hope, and love. And I think you can read that two ways. Faith, hope, and love are now abiding. And when Christ returns, faith won't be there anymore because we'll see. Hope won't be there anymore because it's here. But what will remain? Love. So now three are abiding, but then only one will. But I think you can also read it the other way. Abide in those three things. So now abide in faith, hope, and love. In order to burn the ships and move forward, it's going to require faith. You know what faith is? Faith, according to Hebrews, is being certain of things you don't yet see. You're not going to see it yet. But are you going to move forward in faith? Are you going to burn the shift of what made you comfortable in the past and say, I can't see it in the future yet, but I believe it. Are you going to hope for what's in the future? Or are you going to long for what was in the past? Are you going to let all that lead you to love? Where you receive love, you're fully known and you give love. That is how you know a boy has become a man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word. And God, I know that as we face a new year, we face it bringing in the pain of our past. But help us, God, not to see it in terms of years, but in seasons. That was a dark season, but it's because you planted us. And if we keep watering, if we keep toiling, if we press on, if we give up and go up and grow up, we'll see the fruit of faith and hope and love. But God, I know there are people in the house or listening or watching that have never trusted you. They've never been forgiven. They've never received 
and been fully known. And the, way, the reason why they have lived their life so childishly is because they're just simply seeking attention. But it's the attention that you came to give in Christ. Not to put them at the center, but to invite them into the center with you. And so for those who haven't trusted you, haven't been saved and haven't received forgiveness, I pray that you would save them right now. Nobody looking around or talking. But if you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never received his forgiveness, notice I didn't say achieve, I said receive. That's why he said come like a child. Children receive. They don't achieve. If you want to receive the love of the Father as shown in the sacrifice of his son, you can pray, not out loud, but with me, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent me, your son, to save me from my sin. So I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. I'm trusting Jesus Nobody looking around or talking. But if you just prayed that for the first time, very simply, we want to know that. So would you lift your hand so we can see that? Thank you. we got men and women walking around. going to put a gift in your hand. And when they do, you can put your hand down. But the rest of us who've already trusted Jesus, our prayer is we're gonna take 21 days. You wanna see how childish you are? Give up food for 21 days. <laughs> Give up social media for 21 days. I don't know what that is for you, but you gotta give it up in order to grow up. I know the childish ways in me. But you can start now and say, God, help me to see those childish ways. Help me to see the things in me I need to give up. The thoughts, the words, the values. And help me to put kingdom values at the center. So I can form kingdom opinions and speak kingdom words of life and love into others. Help me not to gossip, tear down. Build up. Father, would you do this in our midst for our joy and for your glory in Jesus' name? Amen.